All right. Well, last week, I started doing something that I don't normally do, and that is ripping off the sermons of the main campus. And that happened with a meeting, and they said, wouldn't it be neat if you taught along the same lines that we were teaching, and, and you taught about the same series, and that way people would come and visit maybe, and they wouldn't feel out of touch. And it just seemed like a good idea. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And then I discovered that Mark Morris, my good buddy and fellow seminary student, is a prolific note-taker and two-week-ahead sermon writer. So I'm like, hey, buddy, why don't you just email me those notes, man, and I'll, I'll peruse those. So that's been working great for me. And we have talks in the kitchen at New Day Nichols that are fantastic. So this message was written one-third by Mark, one-third in the kitchen, and one-third by me. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, the, the kitchen talk is my favorite part, man. If you ever stop by the main campus and you see us in the kitchen, it's something good is happening and we're probably perched on the counter. All right, just to review, last week's message started off the series called Loving, Learning, and Leading, which is the paraphrased synopsis of New Day Community Church's mission statement, which is living the Great Commission and fulfilling the Great Commandment. And we kind of put a catchy little loving, learning, lead, leading slogan on there to help us remember what to do. Last week's message was a church that makes a difference. And it was the intro, and I used Voltron as an example of the church. Now, one of my main points was God intends you, yes you, to make a difference in the world, individually. And we talked about how that was the case, and why God chooses to use people, even though God could do whatever he wanted all by himself, he wants to use you. And then we talked about how when the believers come together in unity, all those individual purposes are melded into this new character in the story called the church. And we compared the church as the assembling together of all these individuals in unity to make a body of Christ to Voltron, which I was quite proud of, to tell you the truth. And we talked about how there's a purpose for all of us corporately as well. And today, we're going to talk about how a church makes a difference by loving. How does a church make a difference by loving? This is one of those messages that sounded easy. And then I realized there are so many possible angles of attack, it's almost daunting. Thank God I had Mark Morris. And Mark was like, why don't we just base it off of Colossians chapter 3? And I'm like, what a great idea, Mark. You must be in seminary. So <laughs> we're going to start at Colossians chapter 3. This is verses 12 to 14. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to this. It's actually the smallest town that he actually wrote to. And he's kind of giving the Colossians the heads up like, hey, if you believe in Jesus and he's your Lord and Savior, you are a new creation. And there are some things from that old sin nature that got to go, man. And now you need to be this new thing. You're a new creation, and you need a new nature. You need to be transformed to go with it. And he lists what that transformation will look like. Let's just jump into verse 12. Hmm. Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves... You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, 
and patience. Remember those attributes. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Jesse Duke, you are a champion, and I see you sitting there next to the offering basket, which is reminding me I completely forgot to take the offering. So if you wouldn't mind passing, what's up? I just did. You just did. You're ahead of the game. Let's have a round of applause for Jesse. I won't get yelled at this week from Cameron because of Jesse Duke. That's, that's what Mom is doing. Now that's on the tape. That's terrible. I'm sorry, Cameron. I love you. Let's look at those attributes again, okay? Close yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he talks about this forgiveness thing. And he kind of hammers it, doesn't he? Make allowance for each other. You must forgive. Remember that Jesus forgave you. You must forgive. And put on love that binds us all together in perfect harmony. This list will seem very familiar from other messages I've preached and other passages in the New Testament. It sounds darn close to the gifts of the Spirit in Galatians. Very similar. And you know, that sounds really close to the character of God as God revealed it himself in the book of Exodus. And we're going to go there now. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. God, tell me about you. What are you like? And God says, I'll do it. This is how God introduces himself. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, that's his name, the Lord, the God of compassionate mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, and lavishing unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Very similar list of attributes with forgiveness tagged on the end, just like Paul does. Not a mistake. These attributes are the very core nature of God. In Galatians, when he's telling them about the fruit of the Spirit, he's saying, have God's character. Here in Colossians, when he's telling them what to put on, he's saying, you need to have God's character. In Exodus, this is God saying, this is what I'm about. This is me. And it's not just one instance. It is all over the Old Testament, man. I've just got a smattering. Psalm 86.5, the psalmist writes this, O Lord, you are good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Same psalm, verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. How about another psalm, 145.8, the Lord is merciful and compassionate slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. And now how about a prophet? This is the prophet of Joel. And he writes, don't tear your clothing in grief. He's calling for repentance from the people. Man, the prophets were really good at that. Calling people to repent. You guys are messing up. Repent. But he has this. Don't bother doing the outward signs of repentance. Don't tear your clothes and act like you're repenting. Tear your hearts instead. 
Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and full of, this has been repeated in every single one of these references, unfailing love. He is eager to relent, i.e., forgive, and not punish. Colossians 3 is Paul telling people, this God of the Old Testament, this God that's been revealing his character for a couple thousand years now, hasn't changed. There's no such thing as the angry Old Testament God. He's always been this way. And now through Jesus Christ, who was him in a body, I want you guys to look like that too. You guys need to have the heart and character of God. And among other things, its number one distinction is it is full of unfailing love. Love. The first way that a church makes a difference through loving is it has God's character, which is primarily defined by love, which sounds great, but it also sounds a little abstract. Because as I've talked about before, if we get to decide what love is, then I basically get to insert my own definition there for what God is like. But what does it look like? If only we could know what it looked like to have God's heart and then live God's way. Luckily, God tells us that too. He's not big on keeping secrets when it will help us. Amen? Amen. Check this out. What does it look like to live God's way? Genesis 18, verse 19. God has shown up unannounced at his man Abraham's tent. And he's kind of talking to himself, and he's like, well, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Yeah, I guess I should tell Abraham what I'm about to do. Because, 18, 19, I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of Yahweh. I want him and his family to know how to live my way. The Bible says, keep the way of Yahweh. How? By doing or performing justice and righteousness. I want this guy and all of his descendants, this nation I'm going to make, to walk in my way by performing, doing, making these two words, justice and righteousness. I was shocked when I studied out what exactly that entails. Because it has absolutely nothing to do with not smoking and drinking and having well-ordered court proceedings. Nothing. If you want to talk about those things, we can later. But not right now. These words, justice and righteousness, entail proactive action. Justice and righteousness, and this is from a source that I read for a paper, so it must be true. Laughter is appropriate, it's okay. Justice and righteousness refer to an attitude of mercy and loving kindness that is driven to ease the situation of the desperate. We're starting to narrow in our focus a little bit. What does it look like to live like God lives? We have his heart, now we want to live his way? Well, we're going to do these things called justice and righteousness. Well, what does that look like? The Bible tells us more. Ezekiel 18, 5 through 9. Ezekiel says... Suppose a man is righteous, and he does what is just and right. Same two words. Suppose this person does that. Ezekiel says, well, he's not going to be an idol worshiper. 
And he's not going to commit all this sexual immorality that's going on. We kind of expect that. But then he says this. He's a merciful creditor. A merciful creditor. He doesn't keep the items given to him as a security by the poor. He does not rob the poor, but instead gives food to the hungry, provides clothes for the needy. He grants loans without interest. He stays away from injustice. He's honest and fair when judging others. And he faithfully obeys my decrees and regulations. Anyone who does these things is just. The attributes are bookended by righteousness and justice. And guess what? It's proactive acts of love. Giving people food, sheltering the people that don't have it. If you see somebody cold, giving them a sweater. Could it be that God is really looking for such practical acts of love? Could it be that that's what it means to live life God's way? It does. And more than that, he feels very strongly about it. So strongly, in fact, we see that if you have everything else together, but you are neglecting this, unacceptable. Let's read what God says himself about it in Isaiah 58. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. God is telling Isaiah, I want you to be really loud and tell people about their sins. And Isaiah's like, well, I'm a prophet. It's kind of my job. Okay, what would you like me to say today? And this is what God says in Isaiah 58, 1 through 9. Tell my people Israel of their sin. They act so pious. They come to the temple every day. They seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation. They would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? These people are like, we're fasting. Why aren't you impressed with us? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why, God says. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This is interesting. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me, God says. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance. You bow your heads like reeds bowing in the winds, and you dress in burlap, and you cover yourself with ashes, so they're looking real miserable, right? Is this what you call fasting, God tells them. Don't you think this, do you think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fast I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those that need them. And do not hide from your relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Then your wounds will be quickly healed. And your godliness, same word as righteousness, will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will cover you from behind. And I will quickly call, answer you when you call. Not even religious pious action is acceptable to God if you aren't 
feeding someone who's hungry, if you're treating your workers terribly in your small business, is it possible that what Paul was saying way back here in Colossians, actually forward, I started with the New Testament today, that's also different for me. Some new stuff all the time. Could it be that Paul knew that to have the character of God would have these kinds of echoing implications? Of course. Paul's an expert in the Old Testament. Paul's theology came right out of the Old Testament. Entailed in having the character of God is living life God's way. And living life God's way is a life of love. Well, what does that look like? It looks like giving somebody a coat if they need it and you've got two. It looks like actually buying the dude that hamburger when he asks you for money. It looks like I've got two cars. I could get by with one car. They're in a desperate spot. Does that sound crazy? You can have my car. It's happened to me twice. Twice. This church thing's crazy, man. Don't tell me that a loving church doesn't make a difference. You would agree. I've got, I've got a free car out there, one Jeep that I got for like half of what it was worth. The church has been good to me with cars. Listen, a church makes a difference through love because a group of people with God's heart will live their lives God's way. And that is a real, tangible, and practical expression of love. So many verses that I could say here, but for the sake of time, I don't need to. Love people with actions and not just words. I want to get a story here from my own life of what this might look like. Because sometimes you have two choices. I can love this person or I can beat the living snot out of them like they deserve Amen. Come on, people. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's gonna, I'm going to not cuss. I'm telling the story. I promise. I think. So, I turn my life back to the Lord. I'm sharing an apartment with this dude that I used to unload trucks with. And uh, we moved into the apartment. It was in Dublin, Ohio, a nice part of town. We promptly move in. He promptly gets an underage DUI. It's, my son asked, what is that? He got caught driving under the influence of alcohol before he was 21. So they charge him a whole bunch of money, and they're going to continue charging him a bunch of money. So he tells me, right after we signed the lease, we just moved in. First week, he's like, hey, man, I can't pay rent. And he's, like, not too upset about it. He's real snotty about it, to tell you the truth. He's like, you got to cover it. I'm like, dang, dude. All right. Well, I mean, I can, but that means we don't have money for food. He's like, I'll get you back when I can well, long story short, two months go by, three months, we only made it about three months before we got evicted. We got no money, he's not paying rent, I'm paying all the rent, and then we're going to get evicted. I'm leaving some stuff out here, okay? <laughs> In that three months, I have turned my life back to the Lord completely. I have felt his mercy, I know what it's like to be snatched from the brink of hell, literally, break down, come to the end of myself and experience the reality of a new creation and a loving Savior. I experienced the Lord's willingness to forgive. But, this dude owes me like a thousand dollars. And now we're getting evicted. So I'm like, hey dude, you owe me a thousand dollars. And he says some words I can't say, which basically mean, I do not wish to give you one thousand dollars. <laughs> and I'm like, I thought about that for days. 
And I prayed about it. I felt like the Lord was like, forgive him, dude. What did I just forgive you of? Forgive him. So I walked into his room one day, and I was like, I want you to know something. I just experienced crazy forgiveness. I'm going to give you crazy forgiveness. You don't owe me anything. And he looks up and lights a cigarette. He's like, whatever, man. Serious. Well, we get evicted. And now I'm sitting there outside with all our stuff outside. He doesn't even know where he's going. He owes me $1,000. And my mom is there, and she sees some little, like, end table or something, some cheap wooden table. And she's like, you know, I'd really like this. If you don't have anywhere to go, I, I, would, I, I would like to take this. And he says to my mom in my presence, F you. And I didn't beat his donkey. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So I'm like, okay. Now it gets worse. I work with the guy. Still unloading trucks together. You know when you get evicted, you don't have to just pay what you paid. You, it's the craziest thing. You have to pay what you agreed to pay. I got to tell you, that was not hundreds of dollars. That was thousands of dollars. And so I get calls at work from these angry people that want their money. And I go to him, and I'm like, hey, we're both on the lease, man. Like, how are we going to split this up? And he said more words that I can't say, you know, right here, or you'd be writing emails. To the effect of, I do not wish to pay you this money either, good sir. <laughs> and so, I'm like, what do I do? So I tell him, I'm like, look, a few days later, I'm like, I'm going to pay the money. I forgive you that debt too. You don't have to pay me. Because I've experienced this crazy forgiveness, I'm going to give you crazy forgiveness. And he's like, whatever. Months go by. My life changes. I'm going to move to Michigan. We haven't really talked. He asked me to go fishing. We go fishing. Conversation is sparse. But the outcome of that is him finally sitting in my car and saying, hey, the other I'm watching you. For the last six months, maybe even close to a year, he's like, I feel lost, man. Like, I got into the drug culture when I was super young. You know, I don't even know what it's like to have friends. You know, my friends dunk you off on the side of the road if you start looking like you're having serious problems. I forget about you. You know, he's like, you got something real. I have no roots. I'm completely drifting. I feel lost. He's like, I want what it is that you have. The day I left for Michigan, I sat in my car with him, and I gave him a new Bible, and I prayed with him to receive the Lord. The day I left, I proposed to you that that would not have happened if I did what I was completely justified in doing. But instead, I loved him with sacrificial action that cost me something. And I don't know what ever became of that dude, but if I do see him in the kingdom, it's probably because I wasn't like, no, my rights, man, my rights, you owe me, my rights, pay me my money. Give my mom that end table, fist in the mouth, fist in the mouth, you know, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Loving people can look like that. Amen? Yeah. Now, if you'll permit me to go a few minutes longer. Oh, oh sweet, I got seven minutes to hammer my last point. Oh, so good. You guys are in trouble. No, it's, it's good. All right, Colossians 3, have the character of God. What does that lead to? Living life God's way. What does that look like? Practical acts of love. Real compassion for people that looks like something tangible. That's what God is looking for. Now some incentive to do that. You guys ready for some incentive? Yeah. yeah. 
I'm going to give you guys an equation, okay? Ooh, yeah. Matthew 22, 36 to 40, plus 1 John 4, 20, equals, you cannot love God by loving people. I'll walk it out. Matthew 23. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? This is a guy who wants to ask Jesus a question. Jesus is owning everyone in the question department. Nobody can ask this guy a question, like trick him or get one over. This guy sees how well he's doing. He's like, I got a question I really want answered. If anybody can answer it, it's this guy. So he blurts out an honest question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the entire law of Moses, the whole fat Old Testament? Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Well, we could have guessed that, right? Love the Lord your God with everything in you. But then he says something absolutely stunning. He says, a second commandment is equally important. A second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa. Whoa. Equally important is loving God? Yes, because God loves people that much. You want to love him? You will love his favorite thing, which is people. John 4.20, 1 John 4.20. If anybody says, I love God, but he hates a brother, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people, we can't see. If we don't love people, we can't see. How can we love a God we can't see? How's it possible? You can't love God without loving people. How can I say something so bold? Well, one is because the Bible says it, and the other is because... If you really love God, and He's your Lord and Savior, and He's giving you these fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and He's clothing you with the things that Paul talks about in Colossians, if He's really transforming you by the renewing of your mind, if the same mind is in you that is in Christ, Philippians, He's tinkering, and He's making you more like Him. I know it. It's absolutely true. You'll start to have compassion for people. It's going to happen. I'm sorry. It might cost you a few bucks now and then. You know? But it'll rise up. I'm going to end with a passage entitled The Final Judgment. Doing it. That's right. We're all right there. In conclusion, the final judgment. Sorry. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And I'm going to read the whole thing. This is, this is how important a loving church making a difference is to God. Okay? Let's remember that's the whole point. When the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will place the sheep, quote unquote, on his right and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those people on his right, the sheep, the people that are favored, come. You you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, I love this part because they're surprised. (laughs) The righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? 
or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did he ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. God takes the kindness, the real, tangible acts of love that we show to the least human being personally. Personally. And you are not responsible for what they do with that $5. You are responsible for managing the swell of compassion that rises up in your heart. Let's finish this passage. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. This is one of those passages we like to white out in 2016, but we're not going to do that in this church, and I hope that's okay. And even if it's not okay, we're not going to do that in this church. Okay. The king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. A stranger, you didn't invite me in. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And they're surprised too. And they say, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help, when you refused to help, the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Big question. How does a church make a difference by loving? A church full of individuals that have the character of God that is the same from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament will be a church filled with individuals that live life God's way. And that means proactive Practical, tangible love. Actions that people can see and experience. The church makes a difference by loving because loving means doing. Amen. This is not earning your salvation through works, by the way. Nobody earns their salvation by doing any of these things. Come on. If you are doing these things hoping you'll get into heaven, you are running full steam ahead all cylinders firing with all of your do-so and good intentions on the wrong track. Please, tonight, switch tracks, keep doing what you're doing, and we can all learn from your drive. <laughs> but you're not going to earn it going down that track. You can only get saved through the sacrifice of Jesus. He needs to be your Lord first. But once that happens, this must, must, must follow. Must follow. This is not work. It's what the truly transformed heart naturally begins to want to do. To have the heart of Yahweh means to live the way of Yahweh. And this is demonstrated by the active love of God and people. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, first of all, if there's anybody here who has not made Jesus their Lord, Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, I received your sacrifice tonight. I believe that you really came, really suffered for me, really died, and really rose again. And I believe you really will forgive me. And so I repent of who I've been and what I've done. Make me new. 
Make me your son or your daughter and show me what it means to live for you my whole life. Transform my heart. And for every single one of us, including me, Lord, show us how to love better. Lord, will you just give us wisdom? Wisdom on how to love. Will you give us as a church, as a group of individuals, as your body, wisdom to make a difference by real, tangible, practical actions that exhibit your love. Show us how to live your character, God. We are anxious and excited to know how to do it better. We want to know what you have in store. And we want to see people's lives changed for eternity because of our hearts of love. Thank you for the honor of this mission. We love you, Lord. Amen. Well, you guys are dismissed. Feel free to hang out. And we are going to have Chris Flaw and Mr. Denny, I believe, up front today to pray. All right, thanks, guys.